This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We are continuing today in our study of Mark, and this is a section of Mark where Jesus is telling parables. And today we're going to look at three of them back to back to back. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to look this morning at verses 21 through 34. All of these are parables about the kingdom of God. So when Jesus talks about the the kingdom of God, he's talking about the rule of God, the reign of God, which is already and not yet. The kingdom of God has already been inaugurated. It has begun. It's happening in us. And it's going to be consummated when Jesus returns. Let's talk about these parables of the kingdom this morning. Mark chapter 4 and beginning with verse 21, if you'll follow along in God's word. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. But for for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps, rises. Night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest Of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we begin to dig into these parables of the kingdom, that you would cause your kingdom, your rule and reign to be more a reality in our lives. And we pray that through us you would extend, advance your kingdom. Make this a kingdom moment in our lives this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When Dr. N.T. Wright was the the canon of Westminster Abbey in London, which is sort of like their pastor, he was once a part of a procession of Christians through the streets of London 
where they were all singing songs of praise as they walked through the streets. And the processional ended in Westminster Abbey where there was a a packed house that was waiting. So they're walking through the the streets and just singing uh, loud hymns to God. And uh, Dr. Wright never fancied himself to be as much of a singer. But everybody was just singing and everybody was singing loudly. And so he was joining in and just just belting out these songs as they walked through the streets. And he figured, hey, they're not going to hear my voice above anybody else's. Or so he thought. Because uh, the guys inside the... Abby had not muted his mic. He was the main speaker for the day. And so what the people who were gathered in the church heard essentially was their pastor sort of singing solos as he walked throughout the streets of, of London. Now, that's embarrassing. It's not nearly as embarrassing as... A pastor friend of mine uh, who thought that his mic was muted and uh, made a last second trip to the bathroom just before uh, the worship service began. So the sound of flushing was not exactly the call to worship uh, that they had planned that day. Well, you know, Jesus says here that that, that what is done in secret (laughs) is going to be broadcast to the world. I don't think that's quite what he's talking about. But what is he talking about here? What, what, what does Jesus mean? Jesus is, is still at the Bay of Parables, uh, which, as we saw last week, and uh, he's telling, can we see that slide of the Bay of Parables? Thank you. Um, so Jesus is still here. It's this place near Capernaum where thousands of people could gather on the shore. And the, the natural acoustics of this area were so good that Jesus could be out there in a boat teaching thousands of people and they had no trouble hearing But the issue, then and now, was not whether they could hear with their ears, but whether they were hearing with their hearts. What does Jesus want us to hear with our hearts this morning about the kingdom of God? Let's look at these three parables, back to back to back. First first of all, Jesus tells us about a lamp shining. A lamp shining. Let's look together at at verse 20. Verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Now Jesus was a master at using humorous images in his teaching. You know, when Jesus told the story about the the critical person, uh, the person who loves to criticize, uh, going around to people and saying, Hey, can I help you with that speck in your eye? And they've got like a, a beam, a two-by-four, sticking out of their own eye. I mean, people were cracking up, but they never forgot that, that image. You know, that's what we're like when we have critical spirits. You know, we're going around looking for specks. We've got a big beam sticking out of our own eye. And Jesus here, no doubt, there was laughter in the crowd as he was saying this. I mean, because it's like this hilariously absurd image of someone sort of doing decorating in their house. And, you know, they're placing everything just so. And they take the lamp and they they carefully place it under the bed. And they say, oh, this would be perfect for this. Or they, 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 they carefully put a basket down on top of the lamp. And they step back and say, oh, that's perfect. The crowd is just, just cracking up as he, he's saying this. And of course, it's, 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 it's a, way, a way of teaching by an, an opposite because what they're thinking is, no, you put a lamp on a stand where everyone can see it. Precisely. And so Jesus says, 
in verse 22. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus means a couple of things by this. He means certainly that there is going to be a final judgment where the truth is going to be revealed about everything. It's going to come out. But why does Jesus use the image of light in the prologue to the Gospel of John? John says that the coming of Jesus into the world was like light invading darkness. And he says in John 1, in, in 1, John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then later in the Gospel of John in chapter 8, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But Jesus knows that there are many in this crowd that have the light of the world standing right in front of them, and they're blind to it. They can see, but they don't see. Author Paul Tripp tells about an experience of taking one of his children to an art museum. And he says, I remember taking my youngest son to a great art gallery. As we made our approach, I was so excited about what we were going to see. He was decidedly unexcited. But I just knew that once inside, he would have his mind blown and would thank me for what I'd done for him that day. As it turned out, his mind wasn't blown. It wasn't even activated. I saw things of such stunning beauty that I was brought to the edge of tears. He yawned, moaned, complained his way through gallery after gallery. He was surrounded by glory, but saw none of it. He stood in the middle of wonders, but was bored out of his mind. His eyes worked well, but his heart was stone blind. Now Jesus knows there are many people in this huge crowd that are just like that. They have the light of the world right in front of them, but they are absolutely spiritually blind. But Jesus knows that there are others in the crowd that are beginning, that are truly seeking God. And, and the light is beginning to invade their lives. And, and the light, the light is beginning to, to, to dawn in their lives. And so Jesus says in, in verses 24 and 25, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You've heard the expression, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Well, Jesus says that that's true in a spiritual sense. If you allow the light of Christ to begin to come into your life, then, then the, the Christian life is a process of more light shining. We were at the beach a few weeks ago, and I managed to get uh, my daughter Cassidy out of bed early. It took some prodding, let me tell you, uh, to get her out. And I never succeeded with Courtney that morning, but I, I got Cassidy up. Uh, I said, Hi, let's go see the sunrise over the Atlantic. And so we walked down to the, the beach, and it was, it was still dark, and, and, and we, we, we watched the sun just break the horizon and then come up. And, you know, when that happens, just more, more and more light. 
And Jesus says, that's what it's like. When you, when you begin to let my light uh, take and come over more and more of your life, my light is, is going to get more and more into the dark places in your life. And, and it's going to just be, it's a process of just getting more and more and more light. But listen, when you blow off what Jesus is saying, and when you're blind to the light of the world, then look, it, it's, life becomes more dark until your soul just shrivels up and dies and you're separated from God forever. So there's no neutrality when it comes to Christ, right? I mean, we're either getting more and more light as we grow in Him or, or more and more darkness in our soul. Jesus tells us here not only about a lamp shining, but second, about a seed growing secretly. That's the second parable. A seed growing secretly. Verse 26, He said to them, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now listen, if somebody asks us, to, to draw an image of what the kingdom of God is like, what would you think of? I mean, we'd probably draw the Swiss Alps or something majestic like that. But Jesus says, now the kingdom of God is like seed. Little seeds just being, being scattered on the ground by a farmer. And he says in verse 27 that the farmer sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He, he knows not how. In other words, the farmer just scatters these seeds, and then he goes about his normal life. He's sleeping. He's rising. Stop right there. You think Jesus is talking about something else, alluding to something else? Here he is. The word for rises here is the same word that's used for resurrection. You see, Jesus is like a seed that's going to be put into the earth. He's going to die, but then He is going to rise. And He is going to bear much fruit. And that's the way it is with the seed of the gospel. As the seed of the gospel goes out, then God does His mysterious, beautiful, powerful work beneath the soil, and he, he brings forth life from the gospel. Several applications that we should get from this. The first one is this. Sow the seed as widely as you can and trust God with the results. Sow the seed as widely as you can and trust God with the results. Listen, we can't bring life. We, we cannot bring spiritual life to anybody. That's, that's what God does. That's the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to tell as many people as we can about Jesus and trust the results to God. Here's another application. Don't be discouraged when you don't see immediate visible fruit. Farmers never see immediate visible fruit, okay? But we can trust that the harvest is coming. We should be expectant of the harvest because Jesus says it's coming. Verse 28, he says the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. I mean, look at some of the fields around here now. They look barren. But what are they going to be like three months from now? Four months from now. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. 
And then the harvest is going to come. Verse 29. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, when Jesus talks about the harvest here, he's talking about a couple of things. He's talking about a harvest of souls, obviously, that's going to come through the seed of the gospel. But listen, I have to tell you, Jesus here is also talking about a harvest of judgment. Because Jesus, in verse 29, is clearly alluding to a passage in the book of Joel in the Old Testament. Joel 3 and verse 13, which talks about the day of the Lord, the great day of, of, of judgment. And it says this in Joel 3:13, Put in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Listen, do you think that God, when He looks at all of the evil things that are happening in our world, do you think God is, God is just, just saying, oh, oh, He's wringing His hands and thinking, oh, I wish I could do something about all the evil in the world, but I just can't. Are you kidding? Listen. Jesus is coming again as a warrior. I mean, he's coming as a savior to his people, but Jesus is also coming as a warrior to destroy and judge evil. And, and it's easy for us to just kind of lull ourselves to sleep, you know, and just think, well, you know, life just goes on. Everything's just going on as normal. And it's hard to imagine in the, 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 the normality of everyday life this this, uh, this cataclysmic judgment that's coming, that Christ is coming again. And the Bible says, don't be lulled. <laughs> don't be complacent. That's what James tells us. Uh, James chapter 5 and verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The third parable that Jesus tells us here is about a seed growing mightily. A seed growing mightily. It begins in verse 30. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? Now, Jesus again is alluding to a passage in the Old Testament. One of his favorite parts of the Old Testament was the, the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 40, in verses 18 and 19, the prophet says, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. You know, Isaiah here is, is, is using humor to mock these, these false gods, these idols that many of the people have become so enamored with. And I, Isaiah says here of these, of, these, of these idols, he says, they were created by a goldsmith. He took the materials and he shaped them and he crafted them and put them together. They're inanimate objects. They can't see, they can't hear, they can't feel, and they cannot act on your behalf. 
Are you going to compare them with God? With the living God? Who can see and hear and feel and act in power? And His kingdom is coming in power. That's what Jesus is talking about here in these parables. The kingdom of God is coming in power. Look at verses 31 and 32. He says, It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, in this last phrase, when Jesus talks about the branches and birds finding shade in the midst of these branches from the tree, that is not Jesus just sort of adding an extraneous detail to the story. Jesus, again, is alluding to images from the Old Testament about the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, in Daniel and in Ezekiel, the kingdom of God is compared to this flourishing tree that is going to bring blessing to to all the peoples on earth and they are going to find rest in God. Daniel chapter 4 and verses 11 and 12 says this, the tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. Do you see the emphasis here? On, on the fact that, that this is going to bring blessing to, to the whole world. To all the peoples of the world. He says it was food for all. All flesh was fed from it. Again, Ezekiel 17.23. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it. That it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. Now this passage is not talking here about literal little birds. It's talking about people. Okay, it's saying that through the kingdom of God, that blessing and rest and and shade is going to come from people from every tribe and tongue. Every people group on earth earth is is going to find refuge and rest in God's kingdom through the blessings of the gospel. It's incredible. This past Tuesday, uh, David and I were able to to, to go to Richmond and and hear from a couple of representatives from our international mission board, which our church is so involved in in supporting. And it was just incredible. It was mind-blowing, really, just to hear what God is doing around the world, what we are a part of as a church, and what, what the limitless possibilities that are there for us in, in, in the future. As you know, people are being called to, to serve, uh, not, not just those who are, uh, quote, pastors and have gone through seminary and all that, but you know, people like students uh, and, and retirees and professionals who, who can go to different places throughout the world, cities throughout the world, 
and, and, and do what they do well for the glory of God, strategically for the mission of God. You know what? And, and whether you go or whether you sin, because people can't go unless they're, they're sent. Listen, you are a part of that. Every week, every single week, as you give to support the ministry of our church, you're not just supporting the ministries of our church, you are touching people around the world with the gospel. Really, to contemplate. God's, God's doing a work that's going to bring rest and blessing to every people group on earth. And we get to be a part of that. Now we see something here too at the end about the purpose of parables. The purpose of parables. Jesus addresses this in verses 33 and 34. He said, it says, With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. Now this seems somewhat counterintuitive to us because we wonder, hey, why doesn't he just explain everything to the crowds in painstaking detail? Why does he only do that with his disciples? Because Jesus knows something. Jesus knows that those who are in the crowd, who are serious, seriously seeking God, are going to be provoked by the parables to go deeper, to think. And, 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 and in being forced to think, they are going to be driven deeper into God and into His kingdom purposes. You see, Jesus is not interested in, in, in just accumulating a bunch of superficial followers. You know, it's very much in contrast uh, to what we see in, in a lot of churches in American culture where it just seems like everything, the type of preaching and teaching, the type of programming, everything, it seems to be geared to getting as many superficial followers as possible. And Jesus wasn't into that. I mean, Jesus knew that he could do more with a few people that were absolutely sold out to him than in just sort of accumulating you know, just a, 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 bunch of, a bunch of superficial uh, numbers of followers. Because Jesus isn't thinking about, you know, kind of short-term goals, short-term numbers or stats or whatever. Jesus is thinking about the long-term growth of the kingdom of God. Adoniram Judson went to Burma in 1812 and died there in 1850. Spent 38 years there as a missionary investing in that people. Suffered incredibly for the gospel. He was tortured at points, put in prison at points, Humanly speaking, his, his biggest comfort in, in life was his wife and teammate, Anne. And then she passed away on the mission field. And he was without, he was without her. He, 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 he went through a time that was so dark, he spent months by her grave. He wrote in his journal during that dark period, he said, God is to me the great unknown. I know he's there, but I can't find him. But he 
He persevered on the field. When he died in 1850, listen, there were, statistics vary, but there were between 12 and 25 Burmese Christians and no church to speak of. But throughout that 38 years, Adoniram Judson had been laboring quietly to translate God's word into the Burmese language. On the 150th anniversary of the Burmese Bible, there was a special worship service that was held, and a man named Paul Borthwick got up, and he had a copy of the Bible in Burmese, and he, and he, opened, he opened it up to see in the flyleaf translated by A. Judson. And he looked over to a young Burmese believer, a young man named Matthew. And he said to this young Burmese man, his interpreter, he said to him, Do you know of this man, Adoniram Judson? And Matthew began to weep as he said this, We know him. We know how he loved the Burmese people, how he suffered for the gospel because of us, out of love for us. He died a pauper, but left the Bible for us. When he died, there were few believers, but today there are over 600,000 of us, and every single one of us traces our spiritual heritage to one man, the Reverend Adoniram Judson. But Judson never saw any of that. He died without seeing any of that. We can put so much emphasis in our culture on the immediate, on an immediate, visible fruit. But Jesus is focused on long-term fruit, the long-term growth of the kingdom. And you know what? We're going to see in the Gospel of Mark these huge crowds, many of them are just going to disappear. In fact, we're going to see that the night before he goes to the cross, even his own disciples are going to disappear. And Jesus is going to die for us, rejected and alone, bearing our sins, and rise from the dead, that the new life of the kingdom of God could be birthed in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your gospel. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us. We thank you that we get to be a part of your kingdom. Father, I pray for anyone here today who has not yet entered into a personal relationship with Jesus. I pray that, that today new life would come to them, that the kingdom of God would begin to take root in their life, that light would begin to spread in their life. I pray that you would open the eyes of hearts to see Jesus and his great love for us, that you might open hearts and open the eyes of hearts to see the Savior and turn to the Savior. Trust in Him. And we pray it in His name.
Amen. If you're here today and God is speaking to your heart, just about a relationship with Him, you'd like to know more, we would love to come alongside and just minister to you any way that we possibly can. I'm going to be right here at the front. Just come and share what God is doing in your life. If you're here today and you'd say, I want to be a part of this church family, it would be our joy to, to receive you. There's just a need for prayer in your life. You're invited to come. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as His beloved child, His very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father. And you are His child. You say, I love Him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.